So I'll start off with some Sunday school trivia. Um, whether, uh, oh, actually, just connected to VBS. You heard Mr. Daniel say it up here. Who was our character Bible story that we read through all this week in VBS? Anyone know? Joseph. You heard him say Joseph. So some more Sunday school trivia. What was the name of Joseph's dad? Jacob. Okay, less people said that. It's easy to get harder. Jacob was Joseph's dad. All right. Who was Jacob's dad? Isaac. And who was Isaac's dad? Abraham. All right. So in the Old Testament, you hear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's referred, Yahweh's referred that often. And he's multi-generational, right? That he goes with us. He's the God who was and is and is to come. And he brings in that triune ability where um, he's in the past. He's forever, ever, ever eternal past, which my brain cannot comprehend that he has no beginning. But God has no beginning. He's ever present. And he is all, he's eternal. He will always will be, right? And so there's this idea of who God is when we think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so I want to look at, really, the life of Jacob. Um, another Sunday school trivia question. Did Jacob have any siblings? Yes. He had one brother, twin brother, right? Who was born first, Jacob or Esau? Esau by just moments, right? Twins. Just moments before Jacob. And what was Jacob doing when he was born? Grabbing onto the heel of his older brother. Ah, right? That's his name, Jacob, right? That he's this one that wants to supplant, that he's, he's a deceiver. And he tricks, you, see, you know, really quick, we're not going to go through all of it, but Jacob deceives his own brother, deceives his own dad, and he steals the birthright, steals the blessing. Uh, and so um, Jacob is in this place where he finally finds out that Esau, his older brother, who's a hunter and is a big burly man, and Jacob, we don't know this for a fact, but Jacob was more, well, we do know that he was more of a mama's boy, right? Isaac loved Esau, Rebecca loved Jacob. And so this idea that Jacob maybe was more of a mama's boy, I have no problem saying I grew up as a mama's boy. I grew up with three older sisters. I got that in my blood. Um, I talk about my mom almost in every sermon, right? I'm a mama's boy. Um, but Jacob is in this place where we're going to get to where he has deceived, he's stolen, he's done these difficult things, and he finds out that Esau the hunter wants to kill him. And so his, his mom, Rebecca, is pleading, just get out of here, Jacob. Go visit my brother who's in a distant land. Get out of here so he doesn't kill you. And we're going to find ourselves, we're going to get here in just a second, in a verse where it's the very first time you read a word in Hebrew that means monumental. Ah, hence, monumental VBS. So that's the title of this morning's message is Monumental Moments. Monumental Moments. If you're taking notes, that's the, I don't have all these bullet points for you. Um, it's Monumental Moments. And really the first verse we're going to look at is in Genesis 28, 18. This is the first time you have this Hebrew word, monumental. And it says this. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar monument. Then he poured olive oil over it. All right, so this word pillar is also monument. It's, if you want to find it, if you really want to study, in the Strong's Concordance, it's Strong's 4676. This Hebrew word is matzabah. I'm probably butchering it, saying it the wrong way. Matzabah, but it means pillar, monument, or personal memorial. And so some translations say pillar, some translations actually say monument. The next verse we'll read, it actually says monument. Um, so this is the very first time, really quick context, first time in all the Bible, Genesis 28, 18, first time you read this word pillar. It happens a few times in Genesis. All the times that you hear this word in Genesis, it's around the story of Jacob. We're going to get to a few of them. After Genesis, it shows up in Exodus, the very next book of the Bible. But almost every time after that, it's referred to as a negative thing, right? That God doesn't want... His, his people to set up idols or monuments to worship. And so everything is a negative context after Jacob. But I, 
I, even as a really quick side note, I was thinking about this. There's so many things in God's word that gets established as good and holy, and the enemy loves to twist and pervert it. Even this month we're in June, right? It's, it's, it's known in American society as, as Pride Month, right? We see the rainbow everywhere. Where did the rainbow originally come from, right? God as a promise, right, to Noah. It actually is a God thing, and the enemy always tries to pervert and twist something that God actually initiates and begins as something good. Did you know that Satan can actually create anything? God is the creator. The devil just takes what God already creates, and he twists and manipulates it. So even this idea of a monument, it started off as a good idea. Jacob was creating a monument to remember, a memorial stone to remember what God had just done in his life. And I just really quick want to throw that out there, that sometimes even this idea, that if I said to you that this morning I spent some time in meditation, a lot of you in this room would be like, wait, what did pastor just say? He spent time in meditation. That sounds like Hinduism. That sounds like crazy stuff. Actually, it's biblical. It says, you shall meditate on the, the word, right? Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. I'm not saying I did anything like the Hindus do in their meditation. I was not emptying my mind. I was filling my mind with God's word. And so there's a difference. I just, I just want to point that out. Sometimes we hear things and then we get, oh, that's crazy stuff. But it's always the enemy that twists and perverts it. And I want to make sure that you understand this idea of monumental. It actually is biblical to remember these monumental moments when God steps in, when God shows up, when the presence of God changes everything. So let's look. I don't, uh, maybe I do have it up here. Genesis chapter 28, we're going to read a few more verses. Context 18, we're going to get to that one again. But Genesis chapter 28, am I starting in verse 1? I think so. No, verse 10. Genesis 28, verse 10. Let me get there. So I kind of gave you the context of the story of Jacob, but I want to give you context to this actual story. So Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached into heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and shall spread abroad to the west and the east to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he'd put at his head and set it up as a pillar monument and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And on, of all that that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. We'll stop there. There is so much, and I wish I could stay here for over an hour in that passage we just read. I've read this, and God has poured out so much revelation to me personally in so many things. Like I said, I cannot unpack it all this morning. 
But what I want to point out is that Jacob, as this young man, was raised in a God-fearing home, right? We talked about his dad was Isaac. His grandfather was Abraham, the father of our faith. I grew up saying Father Abraham had many sons, right? Had many sons, had Father Abraham. Jacob knew Yahweh. He knew from his family there was a God who created everything. And yet at this time, in this passage, in Genesis 28, this is the first time that Jacob has a personal encounter with God. First time that word monument is set up, and that first time that Jacob has his own personal encounter with God. I was thinking about this. We just had VBS here this whole week where kids, there were several kids who raised their hand to say the sinner's prayer. Some of those kids, maybe it was the first time. Maybe they had said it last year in VBS, and they said it again this year. I will tell you without a shadow of a doubt, when I was five years old, that is when I said the sinner's prayer for the first time, and I was born again. I am, without a shadow of a doubt, I know that's when my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and I became a born-again Christian. I know that. I know that. But I want to share this. I grew up in a godly home like Jacob. I grew up in this church. But it wasn't until I had a monumental moment that my faith became my own. There's something about having your personal encounter with God that everybody needs. And I don't know, maybe you won't have such a dramatic, drastic one like this where you have a dream and you see angels and you hear the audible voice of God. Maybe it's not that. But my own testimony is that when I was in junior high, I had three older siblings, like I said. They all had graduated and moved out of the house. My parents were still at work, and I'd finished school, took the bus home, and I was home by myself for a few hours. And I could vividly remember being in my parents' home. I can remember the coffee table they had. Coffee tables changed often in that home, but I remember that coffee table specifically. I can remember what the carpet looked like. I remember, I remember everything about that moment where I began to question, and I just was thinking to myself, if I was born in a Buddhist home with parents that were Buddhist, I would be Buddhist. Like, I love my parents, and I would just be whatever my parents are because I trust my parents. And I remember as this 12, 13-year-old thinking this through, wait a second, if I was born in a different country, in a different culture, I would currently be believing something different than I currently believe now. And I was thinking deep thoughts for a 12-year-old, right? Maybe not as deep as our thoughts are as an adult, but as a 12-year-old, I was having these deep philosophical thoughts and I don't know if it was an hour, but it seemed like a long time to a 12-year-old. I stopped. It was a serious moment. I didn't, wasn't playing video games. I wasn't running around. I just was in that moment thinking seriously about my life. And in this monumental moment, I just began to look back at my life. Okay, yes, maybe that's true. But what about the future of my life? I have to make a decision. Not my parents' decision. Not the way I was raised. Not the way that I, I just attend church. I need to make this my own decision. Like I said, at five years old, I made Jesus my Lord and Savior, but now the rubber is hitting the road. I had enough intellect to know there's other options here. And I remember coming to the place where I said, I don't actually know. I know I'm not smart enough where I haven't studied all world religions. I don't know everything there is to know, so how can I make an informed decision? And I remember almost feeling fear in that moment. I, I don't know what to do. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit said, but can you believe even without knowing, Ryan? And as you know, if you've been here at this church, at the end of this foyer is my life verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. 
in all your ways acknowledge him or in all your ways get to know him be someone who knows god and then he'll direct your steps and that verse came to mind as a 12 13 year old i have to trust i can't lean on what i know because as a 13 year old i don't know enough but i do know god i've had prayer conversations i've heard him speak to me in the inner man and so i just began to have faith began to arise i believe even though I don't know God, I don't know everything, but I believe you are the way, the truth, and the life. And in that moment, my faith became real. I had, it was not a spiritual moment where I fell on the floor, you know, speaking tongues in this radical, spiritual, over supernatural moment. No, but it was a moment that was monumental that I can look back 30 years later and say, that is when my faith became my own. And I'm saying today, I don't care if you went to VBS. I don't care if you had a prayer at one point. You need a monumental moment where you erect something and you say, this relationship with God is my own. It's my own. Hmm. I love that in this story, he saw a ladder. Jacob was running for his life. He was fearful. He was confused. He didn't know what to do. There can be lots of revelations or lots of interpretations but one that i just want to hit today i believe one of the things that was being represented in that dream of things going ascending and descending on that ladder from earth to heaven was god was telling jacob all your sins all your failures that you committed here on earth i'll take them from you and in heaven i will forgive you there was no jesus dying on the cross at this time so there had to be some other revelation, some other knowledge. And then also it was ascending and descending. And then God was also saying, all the blessings and all the favor and all the peace of God and the love of God, I will descend upon you. I will be with you. If you just read those verses, I will go with you. I will be your God. I'm making covenant with you. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it was pressed down into Jacob. It became real that he knew there was a God in heaven who was for him. Despite all his failures, there's nothing that can separate me from God's love. He's for me. He'll never leave me. That was a pivotal moment when he understood that. I'm not going to take the time to read the next one, but that was Genesis chapter 28 where Jacob made a monument. The next one is in Genesis chapter 31, verse 45. Shorter, and it says this. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a monument. I'm not going to give you all the context, but I'll give you, I'm not going to read everything in front of it, behind it, but I'll tell you this. Jacob leaves Bethel, and he goes to his uncle's house. Just making this quick. He gets there. He's well-received. He's brought into the household. Jacob falls in love with the daughters, right? Wants to marry Rachel, is tricked. He's a guy that gets deceived. He's a deceiver. He gets deceived, and so he has to marry the older sister first, right? Leah, you know the story. So he marries Leah and Rachel. He begins to have lots of kids. How many sons does he have? 12, right? Because Jacob's name eventually is changed to Israel. So he is the father. He's Israel. 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's in this distant land, far away from where his mom and dad and where he grew up. He's there, has kids. He takes on the flocks. Things are prospering. Things are going great. 20 years he's been away from his parents and his brother. Finally, he hears the voice of God. God tells him, it's time to go back. It's time to go face Esau. It's time to go back to where you are supposed to live. God led him to another place, but God is now leading him to go back to his roots. 
as he does this, he's afraid. Things have gone sour. Over the 20 years, it started off great between him and his uncle. 20 years later, it says that things are now tense. There's tension between him and Laban. So he secretly leaves, doesn't tell his uncle, takes all the grandkids and takes all this wealth with him, and he leaves. It's not until three days later that Laban finds out. And Laban finds out he's hot, he's mad, he chases after Jacob, he catches up to Jacob. And this is where it happens, where Jacob has to face reconciliation. He has to humble himself. He has to say, all right, the first monument is where God showed up. The second monument is where Jacob showed up. Where Jacob, the old Jacob, always wanted to steal and deceive. This time he had to humble himself. Laban, I'm sorry. Even as I say that, monumental moments. Monumental moments don't happen every single day of your life. If you had a, mo a monumental moment every minute, it wouldn't be monumental, right? It'd just be an average minute. This is a monumental moment where things that have gone sour in his family are being healed and reconciled. And so he erects a monument to worship and praise God for his mercy and grace. Maybe all that I've said right now has been white noise. There's somebody in this room, I believe there's some tension in your family. And God is saying, today can be a monumental moment where healing takes place, whether they're in the room or not. Because sometimes we have to forgive when somebody else has wronged us. They've done wrong, and we can prove it very easily. But God is saying, it's actually in your hands. God's not going to show up and fix everything. You're praying for God to wave a, wave a wand and just magically perform a miracle for you. But God is actually saying, the ministry of reconciliation, he's given to us. That's in the New Testament. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, meaning we're responsible to live at peace with all men, if at all possible. I don't mean to single somebody out because I'm not, I have nobody in mind, I promise you. But I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, there's somebody here today that you know I'm the Holy Spirit is talking to you. There's tension in your family. And God is saying he wants you to have a monumental moment. That today is the day of salvation. Right now is the time of his favor. Right now is a monumental moment. He's given you an opportunity where you can make a monument and have reconciliation. Whether you feel it or you have faith for it or not, I believe in this space, there is an opportunity for you to have a monumental moment. Before I close, I'm going to pray over that specific situation. But I got to get to the third one. So that's Genesis 28, 31, Genesis 35. Genesis 35, oh no, where is it? Verse 14, same thing. Jacob set up a stone pillar, monument, to mark the place where God had spoken to him. Then he poured wine over it as an offering to God and anointed the pillar with olive oil. You know what? I can't do it. I got to read you context. I know we have five minutes, but we got to do this. Genesis 35, I think I have it up here. Turn in your Bible if you want to go there or read up above. Genesis 35, I got to get there because there's some good stuff. Um, yeah, verse one. We'll start in verse one. Then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. All right, sorry, I got to stop. Context. So Jacob has already met with Laban. Things have been reconciled. He's on his way. He's, he's going back to Bethel, where he had that first encounter with God, where he's going to go see that monument. But on his way back, he's got his whole family with him. 
And the chapter before, some more ugly stuff has happened. His daughter was raped, and his sons go into the town, and they kill every male person in the town. So now there's stain, right, pain and agony that his daughter was raped, and now his kids have just murdered people. And he's trying to figure out, oh, my goodness, how am I going back into the promised land with all this ugly filth that's now staining my family? What do we do? And so this is where we pick up in Genesis 35, verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the day which I have gone. We'll skip. So skip, we went to verse 4. No, let's do verse 4. So they, they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was, it, which was by Shechem. Let's skip to verse 9. Then Jacob, no, then God appeared to Jacob again. This is still the same story. When he came from Padan Haram. Are you guys following? You guys, okay. And blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore. But Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I, give Abraham and, which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And to your descendants after you, I, I give this land. Then God went up from him in that place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in that place, or a monument, where he talked with him a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And God and Jacob called the name of that place where God spoke with him, Bethel. We'll stop there. Ah, so much. So little time. Jacob was now responsible not just for himself, but was assuming the responsibility of a nation. Israel. And there was stain and there was blood on his hands. And God is saying, come up to Bethel, the house of God, and worship me there. But Jacob goes to his household, to the nation. And he says, we have to cleanse ourselves. We have to repent. There's stain, there's blood on our hands. We have to get rid of things that are still in our life before we can go up and worship. And it's amazing. It's a miracle. Everyone, it says everyone. At this time, Jacob had 12 sons. He had two wives. He had mistresses with them. No, what were they? Maid servants with them. Um, not mistresses, maid servants. And he had all kinds of servants. He had all kinds, he had this huge household. In fact, it even says his Rachel stole household idols from her dad. There was so much that he was responsible for and so much blood on his hands. And he was, if you didn't know this, Jacob was afraid often. And now as a leader, He's having to be a father. That's last Sunday sermon. A father and assume that father responsibility saying, you need to clean your hands, not just me. We're all doing this together. Okay, I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying that to somebody else too. <laughs> You're responsible for more than just yourself, someone in this room. The Holy Spirit's talking to you. And God is telling you, it's time to speak the truth in love. But the truth needs to be spoken where things need to get right and cleansed. Where you know the Holy Spirit 
has convicted you and you've kind of put it off, today is a monumental day where you have an opportunity to say, I'm not going to put it off any longer. I'm going to confront this sin and we're going to get this right. We're going to purify our household. We're going to ascend a holy hill with clean hands and a pure heart. You know what I love about this third encounter we're talking about, this third time monumental is used in Genesis. Jacob is going back to the place he first set up a monument, the first time he had an encounter with God. He was saying, I know the place we're going is holy. It's holy ground. I know that place. I know what it is to have an encounter, and the rest of my family doesn't know what it is. And I want them to have what I have. I pause because there's part of me that feels like Jacob. I've shared this I don't know how many times on a Sunday morning. The relationship I have with God is so good. Can I be honest? I see some of you where I have a relationship with you, and I see you struggling in areas of your life, and I wish I could just take you into my encounters with God. In all honesty, I can't, from up here as a pulpit, teach you. I can't shove something down your throat. But I wish, like Jacob, I wish I could get involved in your life, and I wish I could just bring you into the same encounter I have with him. That where in his presence is that fullness of joy. That like you, I've been stressed, and I've had anxiety, but I can go back to that moment, that monumental moment, where God's presence is all around me. And all that fear just comes off. I don't know how to explain it. It happens in big monumental decisions in my life, but it happens even this morning in that prayer chapel where I had a whole message prepared. I got notes up the wazoo up here, and God was not breathing on anything. And can I tell you, up until this point, I didn't feel the breath of God in anything I was sharing and I'm struggling but in this moment as I'm just being real with you I have a real relationship with God and in that moment I just said God I trust you again like the 12 year old I don't understand what you're doing it's a struggle but I choose to be obedient and trust that somehow you're going to make something beautiful out of my mess And I want, like Jacob, to bring you to my Bethel, to the house of God, where I know my God is real. It's not just information that I'm trying to apply to my life, and it's wisdom that I apply it, and then things just get better because it's information and wisdom, and it just makes sense. No, it's a relationship. It's a real God who actually comes in and dwells with me, and I become the Bethel. I become the living monument, as Peter says in the New Testament, living stones where he dwells in here. And I can bring people into my moment, into my monumental encounter with God. I don't know if you feel it or not, but my tears, I feel the presence of God in this place. 
where he wants you to be real with him. Where he wants you to feel the realness of his love. Not read it on a page, not just know it in a small measure, but where it becomes monumental, great and big and grand. Where it consumes all your fears. God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. So anywhere in your life that you feel fear, like I said this morning, I felt fear trying to give a message that God said, I'm not breathing on it, Ryan. So what am I supposed to say? I don't know. Like you, I encounter real fears. But I recognize when I have fear, that doesn't come from God. So I recognize that, God, that's not you. You're not breathing on it because you have something different. So I trust you. It says that you don't give us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. So I choose to say, okay, God, you love me and you're for me. Even though I don't understand you right now, your love, I know it's for me. I can have a sound mind. I can go stand on a stage and have no idea what I'm about to say, but I trust you. And there's going to be power in my yielding to you. There's power available to you today as you yield to him. Oh, man. So recapping this, right? We've got to finish this up. Jacob, in these three, man, go back and read it. May God give you your own monumental moments as you read this story that I just kind of butchered and barely went through. But Jacob, in his first monument, he had to have his own encounter with God. He couldn't live off of his dad or his grandfather's faith. It had to become his own. And then 20 years later, living in success and things going right for him, things going in the right direction, and yet, relationally, with family, things were going south. And he had to have his own. He had to say, God, I trust that you're not just going to wave a wand. It's actually responsibilities on me to make things right. And then third, finally, he said, all right, I'm responsible to make it right with somebody. I'm in charge of a household. I'm in charge of something greater. Man, can I tell you what God did on Friday, this monumental victory in the Supreme Court? It's actually a greater weight of responsibility on the church than ever before. It was not a release for us to say, oh, we prayed, we did our job, and now we can sit back. It's like Jacob. You go from glory to glory. You had your own personal encounter. Great. Now you're responsible for your relationship with others. Really quick. I just felt this like now. Even in our nation of America, politics, all these things, right now it's volatile. There's people that I am friends with that are upset with this decision. They call themselves Christians, and I'm trying to figure out how do I, how do I, my heart aches for them because they are wrong. They are deceived. But for me, just to go blast truth to them is not going to help change their mind. God, give me wisdom and discernment to bring reconciliation between somebody I sharply disagree with. They are wrong, dead wrong. But you're calling me into reconciliation with somebody who's dead wrong. I don't know how to do that, God. Help. We need to celebrate this victory. I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate it. But if we are celebrating in a way that is pushing other people down... It's not godly. I don't want to tame any of our celebration at all. But I want us to be wise in how to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters in, in America. 
that think different than us? How do we reconcile them? Because in the end result, I love that. Jacob says that every single one of them gave up their idols. It was revival. The picture went from glory to glory to glory. It went from Jacob, a personal relationship, to being reconciled, to then everybody getting in on a personal relationship with God. All right. So as Daniel comes up and plays some music to close this off, I just want to pray for some of you, for us in general, and you can stand. Let's do that. Can everybody just stand for a moment? And I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray for those three things. If You can pray and receive all three, totally fine. But when I hit what you feel like God is saying to you this morning, would you just put your hands in front of you, both as an act of submission and yielding to God like you're offering your life to him, but also in a position of receiving. You're receiving things from God. So I'm going to pray for that first one. Those of you that you're hungry for a personal encounter with God, just put your hands out in front of you. Maybe you're saved. You have a real relationship with Jesus, but there's something deep within you. Deep is crying out to deep You want an encounter, something that becomes monumental, that changes your life forever. I read in the New Testament, Saul converting to Paul. He had a monumental moment. Even Peter following Jesus for three years at that lakeside where Jesus restored him and asked him, Peter, do you love me? And just healed his brokenness. That was a monumental moment. It might look different for every person in this room. It's not a cookie cutter experience. But you know who you are. Just put your hands in front of you. And I'm joining you. God, I want my own monumental moment. I've encountered your presence. I'm actually spoiled compared to most humans on the face of this planet. I know your voice. I know your glory. But like Moses, I want more. Show me your glory. I want a monumental moment where your glory passes before me. And I know I was standing on holy ground. And from that day forward, I'm a different person. My face begins to shine. I begin to radiate with joy and hope and gladness. God, I want the oil of gladness. I want a monumental encounter for my own. And for those of you that you're hearing you need to be reconciled and forgive, God, I place my hands in front of me. God, I receive the responsibility today that reconciliation is in my hands. It's in my corner. I no longer wait for you to do some miracle or for the other person to change from their wicked ways, God, I assume responsibility today. It is up to me to live at peace. God, your word says that you will forgive me in the same measure I forgive others. That is a harsh statement, but it's your truth. And your truth is what sets me free. As I know your truth, as I get it to be pressed down into who I am and I experience your truth and as I walk in your truth it sets me free and God I want to be free from the tension 
the awkwardness when I see my brother or sister in Christ. So with my hands in front of me, I assume responsibility. Holy Spirit, would you give me wisdom? Would you give me a supernatural ability to forgive where they don't even ask for forgiveness? That like you, Jesus, you said that while I was still a sinner, you died for me. God, while my brother and sister are still wrong and have no intentions of changing from their wicked ways, I choose to forgive them. I choose to pour out love and grace and mercy. Just as your mercies are new every morning, I choose to be conformed in your image. And every day of my life, I will say it again with fresh conviction. I forgive. I forgive. I bless those who persecute me. I pray for those who spitefully use me. I will love my enemies as you commanded me, Jesus. I let go, with my hands in front of me, I let go of trying to be, make things right or trying to make things equal or just. I let go of fairness. And I extend mercy and grace from this day forward. And God, that third one. Revival couldn't happen until brokenness for sins took place. A shedding of sins. They had to let go of sin before they could go to Bethel. For those in this room, God, that we know that sin is in our lives, it has been tripping us up. We are not running the race at a full sprint we love you, God. God, if, I, if I'm real with you in this monumental moment, I love you. And I want this sin out of my life. But the problem is, I keep easily falling back into it. I want to let go of sin. And I want from this moment, sin to let go of me. I want to be set free. I want to be delivered. So God, I ask for deliverance. Be my savior, not just to get me to heaven one day, but from the sin that I see right now in this moment, I place it in my hands before you on the altar. I sacrifice it. I choose you over this sin. I will do whatever it takes, whatever the cost, I will remove this from my life. Today is a monumental moment where I let go and I feel the freedom of sin no longer enslaving me. I am free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I declare that over myself today. I am free. I am free. Thank God Almighty, I am free. Today is a monumental moment. Just as Jacob perceived, he said, the Lord is in this place. I didn't know it walking into it, but leaving this place, I know I met with God. God, today right here has been a Bethel. And we give you glory. We give you honor. And we give you praise. We choose to walk out of this sanctuary. Looking back at this day, that you are a God who's worthy to be praised. 
that when sin tries to rear its head, I will say, no, I erected a monument on June 26th, on that Sunday. I said no to sin. I said to no to bitterness and anger and resentment. I said no to living a life of mediocrity. I want a passionate, on-fire relationship with you. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Oh, man.